right, take your Bibles, church, and uh, your Bible device. Be going to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, and I want to say hello to the folks around uh, the 828 at the other campuses. Uh, we're getting ready for an awesome next several weeks in the life of our church and the life of our campuses. And so, um, anyway, thank you guys for buying into and understanding. Hey, stay where you are, serve where you live, be the church in uh, your community. Hope you've already had a fantastic morning uh, of, of, uh, of worship. So here's where we are. We're two weeks away. From, uh, from Easter, and so uh, some of you are like, what's the schedule? You can get all the information about uh, Easter coming up in two weeks. Go to just buildmorechurch.com slash Easter, and you can get schedules, you can get uh, invites, you can get uh, the trailer, the little commercial that you can send out, invite, all that kind of stuff. Let me give you a couple of uh, things, a, a detail you might not notice at first glance. First of all, normally on a Sunday, there are 13 services around Western Carolina with Biltmore Church. We've added a couple uh, there's going to be an extra one on Saturday night at Brevard and Saturday night at Arden, all right? And then the Sunday morning ones, we're spreading out a little bit. So instead of 9.15, it's 9 o'clock and 11. This is, this is Easter weekend. And so here's, here's when it comes to especially Brevard and Arden. I want you to understand on the Saturday night service, I need some of you to go there, all right? We want to make sure we have room for our friends and guests on Sunday and uh, the tomb's empty on Saturday night, just like it's empty on Sunday morning. So if you are, uh, let's say you're going to grandma's on Sunday or uh, your schedule doesn't matter, doesn't matter at all. Maybe a lot of people have already said, I'm going to go Saturday and then I'm going to serve in things like our nursery or different places on Sunday to make sure that uh, we, have, we have the gospel hospitality we want to. But again, Arden and Brevard need some of you. There is no RSVP this year. Thank the Lord. All right, there is no RSVP, but... That means some of you got to go uh, on Saturday. Uh, please do this. So a couple of things, uh, and I'll give you an email this week about it, but three or four things about Easter. Number one, uh, obviously attend one of the services. All right, so you got, there's 15, there's 15 services you can choose from in two different languages with one message, all right? So that's that, uh, just attend one. Uh, second thing would be to invite, all right? Do invite people. I know it's been a crazy couple of years, but here's the idea. Is there, even, even though our culture has shifted, there are surveys show that people are more open at Christmas and Easter to a personal invite from somebody that they already know. The statistics are somewhere around 80% said that I am more than likely to attend a church service if I am personally invited by somebody that I already know. And so what that says statistically, church, is that there are people that are more than wanting to go than Christians are more than wanting to invite. All right, so Easter's gonna be awesome. You guys, some of you are gonna have like new dresses and, and uh, you're gonna have like new shoes and, 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 that's, and it's great family time, but don't forget the mission, all right? Don't forget the mission, all right? Easter, Easter is about family and celebration, but it's about the fact that Jesus died for people, rose from the grave, and then he sends his church to actually accomplish the mission, all right? So don't forget about that. Um, as a matter of fact, some of you are like, um, what else can I do? You can serve. I tell you what you can do big time is you can pray. That's what we're right now. You can pray. By the way, these little mini invites, there's 75 billion of these that we printed. And so in order to not waste trees, all right, these are ones to be given out, all right? It, uh, if, you, if you end up with 30 on your shelf the day after Easter, unpardonable sin. So just don't. Just make sure you get, make sure you get rid of them. Here's, here's one last thing. As we talk about praying and uh, praying for this, somebody said this, talk to Talk to God about people before you talk to people about God. And one of the things we want you to do is simply over the next 14 days, I know you've got all these different things and you've got families and addictions and you've got 
prodigals and all this stuff and very important, but make sure, as we'll see here in a few minutes, make sure you've got some kingdom prayers in there as well. Make sure you're praying for somebody. Make sure you're praying for that one that you think, you know what, that guy, and I've done it before. He's like, I don't think that guy is ever gonna turn around. I don't think it's ever gonna happen. The Bible says, listen, God's arm is not too short to save. He's not. As a matter of fact, I think it's a safe bet to say that at every campus today, there's a bunch of the people that are sitting in that place that at one point, other people looked at you and said, man, that girl, she's never gonna come to Christ. She's never gonna, that guy, he's never gonna be interested in what the Lord has to say. And then people prayed, God worked, and God saved. So as a matter of fact, we've never done this that I can remember, at least in the 14 years I've been here. We've never given away a T-shirt in mass. So here's the deal. One of our values as a church is that we can pray and we can pray expectantly. One of my favorite Psalms, Psalm number five says this. It says, early in the morning you will hear my voice and then I will get up and I will watch. In other words, I'm gonna pray and then I'm gonna look to see how God's answering that prayer. It's the idea of expectant prayer, that I'm gonna pray even this morning early, I was reading in John 15, and it says, listen, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you ask whatever you want, and I'll answer it. And so what we're going to look at is we want to pray expectantly over the next couple of weeks for God to do what only God can do. And if you're at church next week, I understand it's spring break for some of you next week, but if you come here to church, hey, you know, you get a free shirt. You get a free shirt. Just simply says, pray expectantly. Just pray expectantly. And if you're a uh, if you're a small, we got plenty of those. If you're an extra large, we're gonna have plenty of those. If you're a schmedium, just realize you're no longer a schmedium, you're a large or an extra large and get the appropriate size, all right? We are not about halter tops at our church, all right? We're about T-shirts that fit, but those are for you next week. And um, let me think lastly, uh, we got some folks joining and put your hands together. We got people from Pennsylvania, Wyoming, Sweden, and then it's either Shanda or Shonda. I apologize, Shanda, Shonda, but you are watching from Missouri. If you please put your hands together, welcome them. It's... So here's the deal. If you weren't with us last week, we started off, and I would say just personally, I know it varies, but I would say last Sunday was since COVID, that was probably my favorite Sunday as we've, you know, as COVID and all this kind of stuff and as we kind of build back and all that kind of jazz. But last Sunday felt like, man, I felt like church again. It did, it just felt, it felt a little bit like church again. And one of the reasons it did is because of what you see right here. And what you see right here and what you see at every platform is, is these are the hopes and dreams and prayers of God's people. If you weren't here last week, what we were talking about with 21 days of prayer is that there's gonna be one prayer that I'm gonna pray for the next 21 days, the next 21 days. I'm gonna pray for this. And it's not just in the, in, the, in the worship centers, it's in the kids' areas as well, all right? The kids, and I tell you what, there's nothing, we'll see it in a minute, there's nothing like praying like a kid, all right? There's some dads in here, and you're here today, and you don't, want, you don't, want, you don't even know why you're at church. You haven't been in church in three years. And you could look up here, and sometimes, you're like, last week your daughter prayed for you. Last week. And so um, what happens is, is, is 21 days of prayer is, is the hopes and dreams and prayers of God's people, and if you weren't here last week and like, I wanna be a part of that, then it's not too late, man. Just get one of those cards and you'll keep the top half and you'll drop off the bottom half. Your staff, your team, staff team will pray for you. Every campus prayed over every single prayer request this week. We'll do it again this next week and then the following week as well. And uh, as you pray, we're just gonna come alongside you. And here's the reason, uh, Jesus prayed a lot. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus, the sonless son of God, he prayed a lot. We're gonna be in Luke chapter 11, but just here's a quick flyby about his whole life was, 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 was he was praying all the time. For example, in uh, 
Luke chapter three, he prays at his baptism. In Luke chapter four, he prays through his temptation. In Luke chapter five, the Bible simply says, and he got alone often to pray. In Luke chapter six, it says he prayed uh, before he chose his disciples. In Luke chapter nine, before he presented his disciples with, who do you say, who do the people say, who do you say the son of man is? Who do you say that I am? He prayed for them all throughout. And then you get to Luke 22, Jesus promises, hey, Peter, I'm gonna pray for you during your hour of trial. Same one, he commands his disciples to pray so they don't fall into temptation. If you think about it, when Jesus at the cross in his final words and he says, Father, forgive them, they do not know what they're doing. That in and of itself was a prayer. And so if Jesus prayed, how much more did God's sons and daughters need to pray? And so last week we looked at a guy that wasn't your poster child for an awesome church member and the fact that because of the gospel, he can pray as well. Even though he was a liar and a manipulator, he can pray as well. And God heard his prayer and God changed him and God changed his circumstance. And so second week of this, the fact that Jesus prayed a lot, it shouldn't shock us when his disciples say, hey, teach us to do that. Can you teach us how to do what we see you doing? We see you praying. We see you praying. And even though we've been around prayer our whole lives as young Jewish guys, we don't pray like that. And so here's the way the text starts. Luke chapter 11, verse one. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray. So here's a couple of, couple of just observations before we jump into what is known as the model prayer, which actually answers a couple of great questions. And one of the questions is, I don't know what to say. Well, that, get, that gets answered today. But a couple of things, it's, when they say teach us to pray, the disciples were Jewish young men who had been around prayer their whole life. An Orthodox Jew would pray in the morning, he would pray at three in the afternoon, and then he would pray sundown prayers. So it's not like they hadn't heard prayers. I mean, they would pray. They would pray all the time. They would pray the, they would pray the, pray the Shema. They would pray Psalm 22. They would pray these prayers on a regular basis, on a formal basis, but somehow, some way, they saw a qualitative difference in the way that Jesus prayed. And so they say, teach us to pray which is kind of cool because they, there's no record of them asking him, hey, teach us how to preach. Now he did, but there's no record of them like, we gotta learn how to do that. There's no record of, hey, teach us how to do the miracles. Teach us how to organize the church. Teach us how to put on a conference. None of that stuff. But what it says here is it's like, we see you pray, we see how we pray, and, and there's, a, there's a big difference in it. And the second thing is just an observation is we, it, just in here, we have to be taught how to pray. I know this is politically incorrect, but Jesus did not answer when they said, teach us how to pray. Jesus did not say, just say what you want. Just, just say whatever. As long as you're sincere, just say whatever. That's not what he said. He actually says numerous times, there's a right way to pray and there's a wrong way to pray. There's a distinctively gospel Christian way to pray and there's a wrong way to pray. There's one place in a few chapters in Luke 18, two guys go up to the temple and it says to pray. One's a tax collector, guy that's looked down. One's a Pharisee, real religious guy. He says, that's an example of how to pray and that's an example of how not to pray. There's a parallel passage. If you, were, if you hadn't been here long, parallel passage means the same passage in a different gospel. 
So we're in Luke today, but there's a longer version of this in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. And in Matthew chapter 6, before he goes through the model prayer, he spends countless verses talking about don't pray like this and don't pray like that. Don't just keep saying the same things with meaningless repetition. So there is a right way to pray and there's a wrong way to pray. So here's what I would say about this model prayer, because the problem and the beauty of today is for some of you, even if you're new to Bible study, this is familiar territory. You're going to see some words like, man, I've heard that. Even if it's your first time in church ever, there's a good chance you're like, I kind of heard a little bit of that somewhere, somewhere in my past. The problem with that is sometimes it's like if you even, like if you played sports, you played football or something, a lot of times coaches, at least back in the day, they would start before you'd go out there and play a football game. They're like, all right, let's say the Lord's Prayer. Hi, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And they get through and it's like, all right, let's go knock their heads off. I mean, that's kind of, that's the way it would go. And so here's, here's what we're gonna do. Um, Keller makes a great point about how you can look at the Lord's Prayer. In a good way, it, you can say it. Sometimes people say you shouldn't just repeat it. Now, you don't wanna repeat it in a meaningless way like I just illustrated. But it's fine to say it, all right? It's great for you to, it'd be good if you memorize this. This is the shortened version of Matthew 6. But it's a good one to memorize. But a better way to think about this is not it's not just the Lord's Prayer, it's the model prayer. It's a template for what all prayer should consist of. Keller says it's like riffing, riffing. Like riffing you've, in jazz, you got like a melody line. You listen to that jazz and you're like, man, they're just like freewheeling. They're not really freewheeling. There's a melody line that is all the structure, but then from the melody line, from the structure, there's a lot of spontaneity underneath that. And so in the Lord's Prayer, what you're going to see is there are some principles. There's like five or six we're going to look at today. And so you can pray that. That's the melody line. That's formal structure. Here's what it encompasses. But underneath that, there's a ton of spontaneity, folks. I mean, it's like when you just say the word, our Father, you can say our Father. It's a good prayer. It's the way we ought to start prayer off. But underneath that, there's a whole bunch of stuff. So when you think about it, I'm going to give you categories. Let me tell you, I'm going to let the cat out of the, what I'm going to do is we're going to let the I'm gonna give you the categories as we, and each, each, each line has a category. Talk about that, and then at the end, at all the campuses, we are going to have a guided prayer time. Either myself or your campus pastor is gonna lead you in a guided prayer time. One of the things we've been talking about is a response culture. Response simply means I'm gonna take action based on what I just saw or heard. And so what we're gonna do is, sometimes that's singing, sometimes that's giving, and sometimes that's praying, or sometimes it's a combination of all three. So today, it's mainly going to be about praying, a guided prayer time. All right, so here's, let's, let's jump into what is known as the Lord's Prayer. So here it is. I'm going to read the three verses and then give you kind of the, the melody line on the top. And he said to them, when you pray, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. So, for clarity, some prayer is just a cry. Help! But when you're talking about deliberate, persistent intercession, this is what prayer in a perfect world, when you have, when you just pray, these are the categories of prayer. 
Category number one, prayer is relational. Prayer is relational. First word of the prayer is simply this, Father. Matthew says, our Father who art in heaven. So prayer in its initial stages is, it's relational. I mentioned to you all the time, J.I. Packer, a theologian from years ago, the, what, what he talks about when you talk about the fatherhood of God. I've mentioned this probably 10 times over the year. He says this, he says, if you really wanna find out how much someone understands about the gospel and Christianity, find out how much they understand and make of the fatherhood of God. It's the idea that through the finished work of Christ, so here's, here's, this is not super politically correct either. Everybody, and you hear politicians say it, and you hear athletes say it, and you hear actors say it, and it's like, hey, everybody's a child of God. That's not a Bible statement. That's not a biblical statement. The biblical statement and the biblical doctrine will be everybody's a creation of God. Everybody is made in the image of God, but not everybody is a son or daughter of God. A son or daughter of God becomes a son or daughter of God through repentance and faith in God's son, Jesus Christ. And when they repent and embrace Christ by faith, the Bible teaches that what happens there is adoption. So salvation occurs, but in that moment when somebody is saved, they are adopted as a son or daughter of almighty God through the finished work of Jesus. This is taught in Ephesians chapter one. This is taught in the gospel of John and it's taught right here. It's like when you pray, you can pray. If you've embraced Christ by faith, you can pray, my father, you're my dad. You are my father. Which by the way, Calvin says it this way. He says that to call God father is the equivalent of praying in Jesus' name. It's praying in Jesus' name. So sometimes we think in Jesus' name, Amen. But really what you're saying is, I'm coming to God on the authority of what Jesus has done on the cross. I'm not coming based on what I've done. I'm not coming on my performance or my resume. I'm coming in Jesus' name, praying his will based on his authority. So when you say, our Father, that's what you're saying, our Father who art in heaven. And here's, here's the part uh, that's hard is uh, on more than one occasion, Jesus told his disciples he never tells the kids, hey, act like adults. But on more than one occasion, he looks at his adults and he looks at his disciples and says, you need to have faith and you need to pray and you need to come to me a lot more like those little kids do. And as a matter of fact, on the rare occasion that he would find an adult that believes and prays like a kid, he would say, hey, take notice. Take notice of this. I mean, two examples. One, there's a centurion that has a servant at home who's sick and he's like, hey, Jesus, will you come heal my servant? And he says, you don't even need to come to my house. You can just like say the word and he's gonna get healed. And Jesus is like, man, that's some faith right there. And another time there was a young lady and she's asking for her daughter, her daughter's sick. And after some tension actually with Jesus, he actually, she's like, I do believe, I do believe. And he's like, you know what? I hadn't seen faith like this in the whole country. And so here's what we've gotta ask the question. When you say our father, what you gotta ask the question is, is how do, how do children pray? How do, chil how do children even ask? I mean, you parents or grandparents? How do children ask? Because here's the, the point is, the way you see God, the way you see God is gonna make a big determination in how you pray. You see God as judge, solely as judge. Is God a judge? Absolutely. But the gospel says that Jesus took the judgment we deserved on himself so there's no wrath left for us, all right? Just blessing, just intimacy, 
And so if that's the case, let's hear true confessions. For years, and even now, my default is to see God as my judge. Now, is there a proper fear of God? Absolutely there is. But if God is my father, if God is my father, when I mess up, I don't need to go in the corner and give God time to cool off. If I actually understand the gospel, Jesus took my sin, and so instead of running from my father because I'm in trouble, I run to my father because I'm in trouble. There's a big difference. If you see God as a policeman, if you see God as a vending machine, you're gonna come to God a different way. So let's just do this. I know it's kind of weird with multi-campus, but I need Arden, I need you guys to participate just a second, all right? So parents and grandparents, okay? When a kid asks for something, when I think kid, I'm not talking about teenager, let's talk about uh, like five-year-old, four-year-old, toddler. How do kids, when they want something, in a, in a word, how would you describe the way that they ask you for it? Expectantly, expect, absolutely. My dad can do anything. Dad, I want a Harley. I can do it, it's not gonna happen, but I can do it, expectantly, expectantly. What else? Persistently, <laughs> persistently, persistently. Mama, can I have that? Nope, mama, can I have that? Nope, mama, can I have? No, you can, and then persistently, but we actually saw that persistence was a good and godly thing and keep praying until God tells you no, keep praying. What else? Insistently, all right, that's awesome, but my vocabulary is not good enough to figure out the difference between insistently and persistently, so I'm just gonna go with, they're gonna ask a lot. How about this one? Here's one I thought, informally. I mean, okay, my boys are grown now, but when they're small and even now, if they need something now, it's not, They've never once come to me and said, righteous father, I beseech you, that if I could please, there's none of that. They don't speak King James to me. They're just like, hey, dad, it's really, really important. What do you think about this? Or could I have that? And so have you ever noticed how some preachers do this the same way? Preachers, you notice how their voice changes when they either pray or preach? You ever seen that? And sometimes they actually pray, preach. Have you ever, you ever seen that? And I've done this and I hate this. I'm, you can call me on it. It's when a preacher forgets to say something during the sermon, and so during the closing prayer, what he forgot to say during the sermon, he includes in his prayer. So it's like, uh, it's kind of like when you, some of you, don't laugh, because some of y'all have done the same thing at the dinner table. At the dinner table, Johnny's right there, and you're like, yeah, I don't want to pray for Johnny, that Johnny would not be so selfish like he always is, and so God help him to have a spirit of giving and generosity, and Johnny's like, hey, I'm, I'm right here. Same thing. Sometimes I forget to tell you something, and I just like preach a little mini sermon in the closing prayer. So just... Pray for me, but I'm saying, when you pray, when you pray, what do your prayers sound like? You sound more like a formal occasion and formal words for a formal notice that you're given a formal relationship, or is it more like you going to your heavenly Father and just like, I need this, I need this. And by the way, we could spend our whole time on this. Because the opposite is you pray like an orphan. The opposite is you pray like somebody without a, without a parent. Now, if you've, as I said last week, the first prayer God obligates himself to hear is when you repent of your sin and call on the name of the Lord Jesus to be saved. So if you hadn't prayed that prayer, then he's not obligated to hear anything else. Now, he might, and he still loves you, 
But that's the first prayer. You pray while you're sitting at your, in, at your house or you're in church. You're like, God, I want to repent of my sins, and I trust that what you did on that cross somehow counted for me. But for a Christian, you got to ask the question, is that, is that the way I pray? I know, I know, I know, I know. I know that when every time I use the word father, it's complicated. You're like, my dad wasn't this, and my dad wasn't that, and my dad wasn't there, and my dad died early, and my dad left us, and my dad didn't want to be around me, and I was a nuisance to my dad. But here's what you got to do. Is it not awesome that the gospel is the perfect anecdote for failed earthly parenting? I mean, it's amazing. You have, if you're in Christ, you have a father that loves you, that knows when one hair falls from your head. Zephaniah says he sings over you, sings over you. So instead of being somebody like, I don't have time for you, I'm trying to crawl on the corporate ladder, he's like, come on, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. You weary? He says, come on. You heavy laden, you got stuff that's bearing down on you, that's pushing you down. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. So it's relational. All right, second one. He says, our father, he just says, father, and he says, hallowed, Hallowed be your name. It's relational. Number two, it's worshipful. Prayer is worshipful. Now, we don't use the word hallowed that often. Hallowed's an old English term, which means to be revered. It means to be respected. It means to be set apart. You're in some way saying, you know what? I'm starting my day with you because you're special. I'm starting my day with you because you are special. Now, we don't make God special any more than we make God holy. Our prayers recognize God. And we're basically saying, you are better than anything I'm going to ask you for. You got to get this. You are saying on the front end, before you say, God, please give me cotton candy and Cadillacs, before you ask for that, what you're saying is, you are better than anything I'm about to ask. You're better than anything. As a matter of fact, some... Uh, this little, this little book right here, I've mentioned to you a few times before, all right? It's called The Valley of Vision. It's a great quiet time accompaniment, and it sounds great. It sounds like, oh, I'm sure I'm gonna go out and get that. I'm telling you, it's awesome. It's basically a, it's a, it's a book of Puritan prayers from like the 16th century, and if you do a little history, Puritans were undergoing some pretty good persecution, pretty bad persecution at that point. And the reason it's called the Valley of Vision is because it's like, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. They're like, even though we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, help me understand through this difficult time, let me have the vision that you are better than anything. Let me see you even while I'm going through this valley of the shadow of death. And so when it comes to be worshipful, he says, worship, he says, worship your name. God's name is his reputation. We've been together 14 years. The number one lesson that I've learned in the 14 years. The number one lesson I've learned in the 14 years. I used to say that the number one thing was saving men and women, getting men and women saved. It was all about evangelism, and it still is. Now, don't get me wrong, but it, unless that is umbrellaed by the understanding that the whole point of the whole universe, including the church, is the glory of God, then you do dumb stuff to try to actually make the message palatable. And so the main message I've learned is the whole point of the whole universe, the whole point of my life, the whole point of this church's life is for the glory, the reputation of God Almighty. And if we fail there, we fail everywhere. There's a phrase I heard this week that I'm like, that is gonna, I'm gonna put that on like my Twitter bio or something because like that's the best thing 
This ought to be included in every prayer you pray, all right? And here's, this, here's the little phrase. It's just like rung out. I think I heard it on Monday. I'm like, said it every single day. And it's simply this, my story for your glory. If you and I would pray that prayer somewhere in our prayer time, God, take my story for your glory. The story you're gonna write for 50 years, 60 years, 20 years, my story my story as a carpenter, as an accountant, as a preacher, as a banker, as a businesswoman. Let my story be for your glory. Because the foundation of everything is that. Now, when you pray that, be careful. Because here's the reality. God might hallow his name by blessing your socks off. I mean, he might hallow your name by giving you the cotton candy and the Cadillacs and all that stuff so you can show a watching world that God is still better than any of these toys and trinkets and I don't forget God even when the bank account is full. Or God might hallow his name by emptying that bank account. He might hallow his name by having you drive some old hoopty car that doesn't even start half the time. He might hallow his name by you going through a difficulty so that you then can show people that in spite of the fact I'm a single mom raising three kids because my husband walked out for a newer model, in spite of the fact that I lost some of my retirement with a bad decision, in spite of that, God is good and I can trust him and we're going to have joy in spite of the fact my car doesn't start. And so when we pray, God, hallow your name, just realize what you're saying. You're saying, my story, God, take my story and let it be for your glory. That's what hallowed my name means. So here's a, here's a third one. It's relational, it's worshipful, it's also missional. Father, hallowed be your name. What does it say? Your kingdom come. Matthew's gospel says your kingdom come and adds your will be done. The idea is the same. Your, it's not my kingdom come. It's your, we hadn't even gotten to the ask yet and he's like your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Again, Matthew says your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How's it done in heaven? Absolutely, immediately, without question. There's no angel up in heaven when God says, hey, go do this. There's no, well, you know, let me think about it. I'll get back. None of that at all. It's right now all the time. And so what does that mean? When I pray your kingdom come, what does that mean? Your kingdom come, your will be done. It means asking the question, if God answers every one of my prayers this week, how much would the kingdom expand? If I answered, if God answered every prayer that I prayed last week, how many people would actually come into the kingdom? The idea is this, Father, use me on this earth to make it look more like your kingdom. Use me on this messed up, crooked earth to make it look more like your kingdom. And I think we'd all agree, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't look a lot like God's kingdom right now, correct? A lot of stuff doesn't look like God's kingdom. And so what we talk about all the time is both declaring the gospel and showing the gospel, all right? Sharing it and showing it. Declaring it, demonstrating it. You're like, where do you get that? Where do you get that? Well, um, easiest way to get it, you know, when churches talk about, oh, what's y'all's vision? And what's a, you know, a vision that's, our vision's gotta be put into God's vision. 
And so where we get it is the numerous times Jesus says, this is what I want you to do. An example would be earlier in this this gospel is Luke chapter four. Jesus says, this is my mission statement. It's because you're like, what does this have to do with praying? Because when you pray, you want to pray the Bible. So one of the biggest things that I want you to do, and that if you're like, all right, what's your goal in preaching? My main goal in preaching, or one of my top three, is for you to understand, it's to whet your appetite. It's for you to look at a text like this Lord's Prayer and go, I could do that. I see it right there in the text. It's right there. And so you can go home and say, I can do that. I can read it and God can speak to me. And so you look at a place like Luke chapter four. Don't turn there, just listen to it. Luke chapter four is the start of Jesus's earthly ministry. And so he puts his mission statement out there. And without diving deep into it, here's a couple of things he said. He said, I came and God has anointed me to proclaim the good news, where we get our word gospel from. He has anointed me to proclaim the gospel to the poor. Now, does that include physical poverty? Of course it does. The Bible has that all over the place about how you and I are to be generous to those that have less, for sure. But it most certainly emphasizes as well spiritual poverty, those without Christ. Number one thing we do is we declare the gospel. And it's awesome all the stuff that has happened in the last year in spite of the hellishness and the chaos and the anxiety over all that's gone on in the last couple of years. It's been awesome to do things from foster care. It's been awesome to do things like the Big Give. It's been awesome to do things like 828 Strong. Those are amazing, and we continue to do that. But the first thing we have to do is to declare the gospel. Our good works don't save anybody. It's Jesus' work that saves people. And so Jesus says he has anointed him, anointed me to proclaim, speak good news to the poor. And so here's one way you can do that in the next two weeks. I mentioned it briefly earlier. This, what we're asking every single person to do that's a part of our church is sometime before Easter is to prayer walk your neighborhood, your apartment complex, wherever it is that you, maybe your business. So you're like, prayer walk, what is that? That sounds so cultish. All right, so here's what, here's what a prayer walk basically is. A prayer walk is praying while you walk. That's what a prayer walk is. So you are walking in your neighborhood or jogging and don't, don't be crazy. Don't sit out there in front of somebody's house and blow a trumpet seven times, all right? Don't do that, That'll, don't do that. But pause enough to pray the Bible over your neighbors and your friends. Just do that. Just pray for them. You're stopping by a house or you just kind of go by the house. You might or might even know their name. You think up one verse, maybe you get one verse, maybe you get a verse out of 2 Peter that says it is not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so you're just kind of slowing down, taking your evening walk, and you look up at that house on the hill, and you're like, God, I want to pray. I want to pray for this house right now. God, I want to know, I know from your word, you don't want anybody in that house to perish, but them to come to repentance. And so right now, I want to pray for the Smiths that sometime in the next couple of weeks through the spirit of God, you would show them the love of God through the son of God that they would come to Christ. And then you move on and you do it to the next house and the next house. Or you pray, God, I know you want me to be bold. Would you open up a conversation for us to be able to just talk and pray and invite and share? All right, that's, that's, that's just declaring the gospel. Now it also, by the way, says, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the oppressed. And so we do want to demonstrate that, prison ministry, foster care, all of those things. Let me just end the question, go to the next one. How would, how would the world be different 
if God answered every one of your prayers that you prayed last week? How would the world be different if all of a sudden God stepped into your bedroom this afternoon and said, you know what, everything you prayed last week, every single prayer you prayed, I'm answering. How would the world be different? That's missional. Fourthly, now we get to the give us. Practical. Give us this day our daily bread. So one of the best verses in here, because number one, obviously God's okay with carbs. And number two, another great verse is kill and eat. So God's okay with carnivore too. So uh, you can rest easy now. I know if you're a vegan, you're probably ticked off at me, but God loves you. Okay, so here's, here's, what we're, here's what we're, give us this day our daily bread. That seems foreign to us. And the reason it seems foreign to us, let's be honest, the last, about 90% of us at church today, our pantries are probably very full contextually just realize that for the vast majority of the world down through history, bread's kind of like that staple that every day needs just to make it to the next day. And so when you pray, God, give us this day our daily bread, it's not just thinking literal bread. It's talking about whatever need that you actually have. So here's what I want you to understand. You can pray and you ask God for whatever it is And you can say boldly, you can say confidently, my daily bread is whatever I need to accomplish what God has asked me to do. Think about it that way. God, what is it you want me to do? And so I need you to provide whatever I need to do it. So what does that that include? That includes if you're a parent, God, I need some patience. Kid, give me patience. That's a good prayer. It's a good prayer, all right? God, I need some wisdom. I'm about to walk into a staff meeting and you know what? I don't know what to do. I mean, there's three of them I know that have to be laid off, but I don't know, you know, God, give me some wisdom. It's when you're a doctor and you're about to go into surgery and you're like, pray, God, keep my hands steady and keep me away from the coffee. I don't want to be shaking while I'm opening up a shoulder. All that kind of stuff, those are like good, good prayers. Those are good prayers. As a matter of fact, some people are like, well, I'm not sure about that. A couple of examples. One of these times, I'm going I'm to illustrate this one time. You all were awesome with your prayer requests, but a lot of these, quite a bit of these are from kids because what they did is they did it in their small group and then they, they came over here and we put them. Man, when you see a kid pray, it's, it's, just, it's just, they don't have any hesitation to ask. And God's like, ask, ask for it. Here's a flyby of some of the stuff that's asked for. This is like a, 15 of them real quick, some Bible asks, if you will. Hannah prays for a son. Solomon prays for wisdom. Eliezer prayed that he would meet the right girl to introduce to his best friend. Saying, Joshua prayed for the son to stand still and have more time to get the job done. David prayed for help in his time of trouble. Hezekiah asked God to turn back an invading army. Daniel asked God to show him the meaning of a dream. Jacob prayed for God to keep him safe from his angry brother. Gideon prayed, he actually prays twice, for God to confirm something he was calling him to do. Elijah prayed, he prayed first, God, I pray that it would not rain, and then he prays a little bit later, and he prays that it would rain. Nehemiah asked God to give him the guts to make a request, a big request of his boss. A desperate dad, a desperate dad prays for his dying, his dying daughter. And I would say there's a, a desperate dad that also prayed for his sick son that was destroying himself. And that's the dad, by the way, that says, I do believe, help my unbelief. I do believe, but I'm having a hard time believing in this one area. 
Paul prayed that he'd be able to go see his friends. The early church prayed for boldness in the face of persecution. John prayed for Jesus to return over and over and over. It's okay to pray. And sometimes it's okay to ask. And sometimes what God will do is give you the ability to do it right there. Think about it this way. You got those, like everybody's got a phone. You know, sometimes it just simply says, uh, if you've been using it and using it and using it and using it and hadn't charged it back up, after a while, it's usually at about 20%. About 20%, it'll say, hey, low battery, low battery, low battery. About 10%, it'll start flashing. Low battery, you want me to go into like lower mode, lower level of living mode? Think about it the way with prayer. You go a long time and do not pray because we looked at last week. Prayer hooks you up to the power of God. That's what God wants to answer and bless through prayer. And when you and I go days or weeks without real prayer, what happens is that battery gets lower and lower and lower. And what happens when you plug that thing in? Man, when you plug that thing in and you start to see that bars start to get stronger and stronger, that's exactly what happens. When you get up off your knees of praying, God fills you with boldness and courage and joy. And what I said last week, sometimes he changes the circumstances, but always he'll change you. And so what's the last thing? The last thing's the hardest thing a lot of times. It's... Uh, it's the one that we're like, eh, can we just kind of skip that? Here's, here's what he says. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us. Phrased a little differently than Matthew. This one's the assumption that forgiven people forgive people. That if you've come to experience grace, you give grace. If you know the gospel, you then show the gospel. And then it says, and lead us not into temptation. Let me give you this one. This is just called, prayer is, it's all those things. It's relational, all right? It's, it's worshipful for sure. It's missional. It's practical. Go ahead and ask him. You did a great job. But it's confessional. He says, forgive us our debts. Sin is the idea that when I sin, there's an obligation that is now incurred. Now, again, the gospel goes to the fact that Jesus paid our sin debt. And so what he's talking about for the Christian here is what we call confession or repentance. It's kind of like two sides of the same coin. Confession, when you see the word confess in the Bible, it's usually a compound word that's kind of two words squished together. And one of them means same and the other one means say. I'm going to say the same thing. It's homo logeo. I'm going to say the same thing about my sin that God says about my sin. But here's what most of us do. We sin in detail, but we confess in gross. <laughs> we sin in detail, and at the end of the day, it's like, God, well, just forgive me the stuff I've done today that's bad. That's a bad plan. Sin specifically, confess specifically, and quickly when God convicts you, remember, condemnation is from the enemy. It's general. You stink on ice and you're worthless and how could God love you and you're never gonna be different. That's very general. That's not God. If you're a son or daughter of, I mean, think about it this way. Parents, when your son or daughter does something bad, you don't go to them and just go, man, you stink. No, you're like, this was wrong. Don't hit your sister. Don't talk back to your mom, whatever. It's specific. And so what do we do? We confess specifically. Don't run from conviction. Conviction is awesome. Luther called this daily repentance. He said, that's the Christian life. It's just the day begins, 
sin has been paid for, and so I repent. Confession, it's agreeing with God about a specific attitude. It's like I claim the blood of Jesus over my life. I have been justified. I'm in the process of being sanctified. One day I will be glorified. But right now, right now, I'm confessing. And then you agree with God. And you say, like, I claim the blood of Jesus over that sin. Proverbs says that what? The righteous man, he falls down seven times but gets back up. So you fall down. Part of the fact you're a son or daughter is God's like, let me help you back up. Let's do better this next time. And I say that to say this. When we're about to do this guided prayer, I understand it can feel awkward. Again, think of it like riffing. There are some principles here. Our Father, that's relational. Our Father, hallowed be thy name. That's worshipful. My story for your glory. Your kingdom come, that's missional. God, help me to make this world look more like your kingdom today. It's practical. What is it that you got to ask God for? But then it's confessional. God, I got some stuff that I know you don't like that I need to change, which by the way, confession says I say the same thing, but then he ends it by saying, but do not lead me into evil. That, that throws some people. Do not lead me into temptation. And yet you go over to James and the Bible says God leads nobody into temptation. So what is it? Is God like leading me into temptation or not? Think of it this way. It's a prayer to say, God, don't let me get in a situation today to make you look bad. God, I'm about to walk into work and you know that guy rubs me wrong and I lose my temper. Don't let me lose my temper. Why? Because I'm here for the expansion of the kingdom. I'm here for the glory of your name and you're my dad and you'll answer that kind of prayer. See what I'm saying? It builds on itself. God, don't let me get in a situation today where I make you look bad. That's a picture of repentance. The malady of today's church is confession with no repentance. God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. And yet no plans are made to avoid the same puddle the next time. So repentance is, God, I'm sorry, but don't let me get into that situation again. 